yeah you know what i mean yeah welcome to the deer vein podcast uh today we have grant putnam with last breath tv and last breath is a pretty you guys are like up and coming like i've followed you guys for you guys have been around for a couple of years now but you're still growing pretty and you're growing pretty good yeah i would say so um we started videotaping our hunts when garrett and i was uh we're 14 years old i was 14 he was 17 so now we're um 27 and 30 so we've been filming non-professionally air quotes for about uh 13 years now this will be our 14th deer season we're going into and then we've been producing our show uh this is our seventh season that we've been doing here so we kind of got into um we kind of got onto the youtube scene a little bit late but we've been on the digital content scene um kind of on a plethora of different online platforms kind of kind of since the beginning of when I would say cable hunting television shows had started kind of making their way out and kind of the age of the big fat daddy sponsor contracts started to die off and (laughs) people started jumping ship off of cable and dish and their outdoor and sportsman's packages and on to more things like, you know, finding people on YouTube, finding people uh, now on Netflix, on Amazon prime places on online where streaming is available, like, uh, uh, waypoint tv carbon tv things like that so been around for a little bit you guys are on carbon right yep yeah that's the first place i watched you guys the first time it's yeah. uh it's a it, it's a pretty nice platform it's gone gone through a lot of changes that we've seen on our end so um, we still put content up there just because you know it's another place at the end of the day where a viewer could see our content for the first mm-hmm. time and be like holy smokes i like this like that was a nice deer or that was a good story or those guys seemed all right. And then kind of uh, go down the rabbit hole and through that arm of our business and kind of find out who we are and what we do and things like that. So uh, carbon TV is a good spot to watch us. YouTube's a good spot to watch us. We're vigorously trying to grow that Um, waypoint TV, maybe in the future, Uh, just got hooked up. I got off the phone with my buddy, Sam Ubel from chase nation uh, about three hours ago, actually Um, as a, pretty similar feel and style show like a really nice production value show um kills quality deer tells quality stories um and i got off the phone with him about a new uh project we might undergo this year um on a new platform so constantly trying to put it in in the different laps and so that different eyes can see our stuff and enjoy what they see hopefully yeah no that's a lot going on man you guys is this your full-time is this your full-time gig, you and Garrett? Uh, I wish I could say that it was. Uh, it, it's close. We've, we're to the point now where uh, he and I, we both, it, it's in a weird, it's a weird position to be in. Uh, most of the stories, the outdoor industry kind of go a little bit like this. Uh, I hated my job and I wanted to do something that I loved every day. Therefore, I quit my job and figured out how to make a living in the outdoor industry. Um, and for him, um slightly true but he enjoys what he does he's a industrial product manager and is a a salesman of sorts and um i'm a school teacher and i really enjoy my job and it's to the point now where i'm kind of so far along in my career uh i'd be surrendering you know a lot of time a lot of college a lot of student loans if i just jump ship on my career right now but (laughs) we've had the conversations before like man it, we could we could make it happen we could do it but neither one of us want to cold turkey leave our careers and walk away from our jobs so 
quite yet. Um, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at 27, yeah, you've only, I mean, so I'm 30 and I'm like just really getting over the edge of like, and I'm pretty financially conservative and um, like, I'm just now getting over the edge of getting rid of a lot of my debt, like paying off my cars, not having student yeah. loans and like, yep. they're just having the house left. And it's one of those things that it's like, all right, so now we're working on the house. And if we want a new car, then can we pay? How can we pay for it in cash or whatever? And how can yep. you not <laughs> go back into debt? But then the next step in that like process, and I think Brian called it this like gritty Bowman. Um, yep. I think he like paid off everything and then saved a couple years. And then, then he jumped into the, that into the game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're lucky enough to have some pretty pretty solid clients in the outdoor industry. So Last Breath is kind of a it's a media company. So I like to describe to people that we're kind of a jack of all trades. So um, we do a lot of media creation via photography and things like that. So our photos you can see them on about twelve to twenty different pages, kind of all within the industry. And then we did do you move? Things. Did so, you move your microphone real quick? Uh, I did right. not. Okay, that better. Yep. That's better. There we go. Okay. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we've got a lot of different arms of our business, if you will. Um, we've got our show, which goes online and actually on outdoor edges, the great outdoors on the pursuit channel. So it airs there as well. Our biggest and best deer go there during the whitetail season. Um, nice. And then we have, you know, our online show, we have our content creation arm, which is kind of like that freelance photography, photography and videography work. So um, an example would be we work, we work with Hawk. So Hawk sent us a shipment of stands, things like that. They wanted to demo our, their new saddle. So we went out, tried to kill a doe out of it. Um, aired that on YouTube, gave that video to them, uh, provided them with photo assets. And then we have the sure. podcast arm of our business, which is... Um, it's called the last breath hunt cast and that's available every Monday. And we kind of wanted to do something different with that, where we were like, all right, what's a niche that we could fill that hasn't really been out there. And Garrett and I both love to argue with each other. So we figured <laughs> what better a way to what better a way to butt heads than in a really civil way where we can kind of examine two different things from two different sides. And so we call that a controversy. Then the fourth and final arm of our business is called our launch party. And our launch party is every summer and it's a, the best way I can describe it to a person that's been to the ATA show before, it's kind of like our own Badlands Film Festival. So we provide, uh, you know, uh, free beer to our couple thousand guests that go there and watch our films for the first time. It's kind of mm -hmm. an unveiling of our newest season. Um, we have a deer show there, give away a tons of tons of free gear. So that's the fourth thing I guess that we do. And then we kind of shift the pieces all around throughout the, uh, throughout the year and, um, that's kind of, that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. It's, I like to describe it to people that we're not going to deliver rock house motion quality, um, videography. We're not going to deliver Stephen Drake quality photos. We're not going to lay down a podcast like Brian call can, but we're going to be a seven or eight out of 10 and all, everything, um, and kind of provide that umbrella of value. So that way, when a company is like, I want to work with last breath, it's not just one little box that we're trapped into or one little niche right. that we're filling we're able to provide needs for every area um yeah. so that's kind of the 
the business model that we go under. I know that some people like to just hammer down in one niche, but we like to be able to provide that umbrella of value to our clients and, and the people that work with us. So nice. that's, our, that's our company, I guess, in a nutshell. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, just curious, um, what would it take for you guys to like want to jump ship and just do that full time? Just enough money? Um, well, we are, uh, we're knocking on the door of being able to, to replace one of Garrett and I's yearly salary. So like we've, yeah. we've talked before, like, man, we could do this. But honestly, what I'm waiting for is um, one more year growth on YouTube. I want to grow that platform to between 20 and 35,000 subscribers. So that way we can make sure that we have enough, you know, funds available to pay a person to come on and be a, a full-time employee. And that employee would record the podcast, schedule the guests, upload the video podcast to YouTube, create the thumbnail assets for the podcast, link the podcast, edit the footage. And I could train them on how to do that. Um, yeah. Take the product photos while we're at work, do the product review videos when we're at work. And I, we could train them how to do every single thing. So that way the only thing Garrett and I would have left to do is, is hunt, which is what we really love. Doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, we could, you know, get a little continue to have a little nice side hustle and you know side income off of it so uh, yeah that makes sense the goal yeah no that's cool so then um two things first one i want to cover is the event i heard you because you guys are you guys are kind of like partnering or merging whatever you want to call it with with the whitetail legacy guys right so absolutely Yep. So you guys are working with them and I heard on their podcast about the event, but so you guys are having your launch party and that's in, is that in Iowa? Yep. So, um, yeah, our, tell me launch, about that. our launch party every year, um, it's grown and grown and third year we, it went off the rails and it got too big and we had to, we had to go elsewhere and get a new venue. So, um, the crowd got a little too rowdy, a little too out of hand. And it happens when you, when you buy six or eight kegs worth of beer, and you give free beer to all your guests all night and then put big deer in front of them and ask them to scream <laughs> win a prize or something. It happens and it got out of control. And during our third year, we maxed the theater out. So this year, um, on July 23rd, we are hosting um, the launch party in Davenport, Iowa. It's a historic theater called the Adler Theater, and it'll hold about 3,600 people. So we are going to try to max that puppy out. But it'll give us a lot more space than the old venue and uh, our taxidermist, which is Wayne Tompkins. Uh, he's located in Muscatine, Iowa. He'll bring, um, we have a, like a little discount code for our fans that want to get their taxidermy done quicker um, and at a discounted rate. So there'll be about 20 deer heads of our fans there plus the 10 or 15 of them that we killed this year. Um, so there'd be like an own, our own little mini deer show from deer that they killed nice. just this year. So people will kind of go through their beer line. They'll grab their beer. They'll go up, walk through the deer tour. They'll come back down through the balcony, through the atrium. They'll go out there, find their seat. And then they'll watch about four or five of our big deer get shot from our newest season and uh, drink beer the whole time for free. So it's a free event. <laughs> it's a really cool event. Um, we started doing it. This will be our fifth year. So we had three years and then COVID knocked us out vir all virtual last year. But this will be our fourth in-person launch party in our fourth yeah. time doing it in person so it's just a big deer hunting film festival and uh yeah the whitetail legacy guys they'll have a film in there this year that we're producing so 
it's it's going to be a good time and there'll be about two hours worth of worth of footage so yeah out there is listening to uh deer vein today or you yourself want to take a drive down i know that we're renting a room block uh there's a hotel right across the street and a local brewery sponsoring the after party so <laughs> we're gonna go there afterwards oh man you're get speaking a little my language and, and stay in the hotel so it should be a it should be a pretty pretty freaking fun night lots of our lots of our fans and guests and families and they really really enjoy it so no that sounds that sounds pretty awesome i mean being from wisconsin you got deer you got beer all i need is brats and cheese and i'm sold but i'm already pretty much sold i just gotta i gotta convince the wife i gotta i got a three-week-old girl and a two-year-old boy and i gotta be like hey hon do you mind uh me going down to this place to, um for work <laughs> for work for a tell that you're gonna talk business <laughs> right yeah, um, business yeah trip, there might be beer that. there i don't i don't know it's like a it's like a film school thing that i want to go <laughs> yeah you yeah. say you say beer and deer in the same sentence and the cheeseheads they started running <laughs> there's a deep deep seated history of drinking yeah. beer and killing deer in wisconsin history I don't know which has got a deeper history, you guys or Michigan, but it's got to be <laughs> those two in the Midwest have got to be one and two jockeying yeah. back and forth every year, I would say. So, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but oh, yeah, no, that sounds awesome. That sounds, yeah, that sounds like a good time. So, any, yeah, like you said, anybody listening to this, July 23rd in Davenport, what's the name of the theater or where can they find it? Is it just yep. on your website? Yep, it's going to be on our website here real soon. Uh, it's the Adler Theater, A-D-L-E-R. Got it. Uh, it's right in Davenport, Iowa, which is kind of the point where Illinois and Iowa interlock at the only point in the continental U.S. that the Mississippi River flows east to west. That's the Quad City area. So, yep, it's right there. Sweet. All right. Um, okay, cool. So, yeah, let's go check that out, guys. Certainly. I mean, how can you pass up free beer and... And deer hunting i don't understand yeah. how there's or you only have 3600 <laughs> yeah. well the uh the first year we did it we had about 500 people then the second year we had about 650 and then we went over about 1500 max that theater out so we only printed a limited number of tickets due to space yeah so we can't just give out an unlimited amount and have mm. you know we're breaking fire codes and all kind of legal uh legal things like that so we have to keep the number of tickets. Typically, we'll look at our number, we'll look at our venue, and then we'll print 50% more tickets than that because obviously not every ticket that gets handed out is going to get used. So this year, we'll probably be printing somewhere in the ballpark of like 52 to 5,500 tickets with an anticipation that about 3,000 of those people will show up ready to rock and roll. That's awesome. Um, all right, well, let's chat. Let's talk about the other thing I wanted to get to off that tangent was you're uploading your youtube growing your youtube series getting your subscriber base going um shed kings that's a new a new series you guys are putting out i've watched both you've put out two of them so far tell yep. people about shed kings real quick sure so shed kings um there was a bunch of people last year um that said do you guys have any shed hunting content and as many big sheds as we found the answer was no and we thought all right I don't want to just do a POV vlog style shed hunting series like 90% of the other ones out there. 
I want to examine the biggest of the biggest antlers that people are finding. Um, and I want to talk about where exactly those antlers are found. So that way, guys like you and me that are interested in following these deer from year to year, people like your listeners and our fans are like, all right, what's one little nugget of information I could withdraw from this video to say, I can use this piece of information to tell me where a deer was bedded and where I could potentially kill him next year. Um, so we did, uh, Shed Kings was the idea, made a nice little sexy intro, got a nice voiceover guy from it. Um, I noticed then, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we, uh, just basically created this list of questions that we wanted to know. You obviously your name, where you're from, what you do, stuff like that. But I wanted to know how many sheds have you found all time? IE, I want you to find at least 40 or 50 plus. I want to make sure that this dude knows what he's doing. Didn't just stumble upon this sucker on the side of the road and then pawned <laughs> it off as, oh, I'm hunting this big deer now, even though this was a road shed and this is 80 miles from my house and where I hunt and stuff. Um, right. And so yeah. I want to say, you know, these guys have been shed hunting for a while, blah, blah, blah. Now let's take a look at the biggest antler you have. Where was it found? Why do you think it was found there? What's interesting about it? And most importantly, um, how big is it? So uh, I myself, I'm not like a, I'm not big on like scoring deer, but uh, we, we had the discussion that to make the video a little bit more engaging, the majority of people do enjoy scoring their deer. So we should add that part in there. Um, so we added that part and kind of mm -hmm. talked about how big the deer antler would was or how big the deer could have been. And like I said, we wanted to know exactly where the deer antler was found, provide advice to people looking to find more antlers in the future, um, and basically pinpoint the hot spots in which all the big deer antlers are found. So that way there's some commonalities that people can watch all the episodes of the series and be like, man, he said that again. He said that again. He said that again. There must have some validity to this. So we've got about uh, five, six more episodes in the hopper, and we're going to be starting to double drop those episodes here in a couple weeks. So we've just, we've been beta testing it a little bit, sprinkling one in every Thursday, seeing how it does, changing things, dropping another one. Uh, so this Thursday will be a good test to see how our public land shed hunting episode does and, and what that, what happens with that and see if, uh, see if that one blows and gets fed by the algorithm but we'll see if it does or not yeah have you uh do, do you shed hunt personally often or is it more garrett yep uh garrett and i were so the way that our company breaks down we've got four teams of two content creators so garrett and i work together a hundred percent of the time matt and jesse same thing hundred percent of the time cody and homie now yep. and then logan which is garrett's wife and her friend Allie. Um, so there's four teams of two and each team it's their best friend. So it's not like a hired cameraman, which I think is another cool aspect of like what we do in our, uh, filming our adventures and stuff. Like when I'm freaking out and talking to Garrett about the deer that we just killed or we just shot, it's not like it's some guy that doesn't know the deer. It's not like some guy that's not amped. It's, it's the deer that we've been planting food plots for and hanging the deer yeah. stand for and doing all the things that we've put ourselves in the position in the off season to do that we can share that moment with people. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's a little bit about shed Kings. That was a long winded answer. So yeah. it's a pretty neat series and uh, we got some real big antlers coming in the future as well. Yeah. So then based, like based on shed hunting, I mean, you've been doing it for years and aside from the whole series that you guys are putting out, has there been anything like really like telling that you're just like, 
from shed hunting, you know, last X amount of years, I can tell you, this is like the most important thing I've learned. And here are a couple other side notes that I've learned. Yeah, I would say, I would say that during, during the late season, um, and the early season for that matter, uh, just really not in the rut, I guess, is the time period of deer season I'm talking about here. I think that nine times out of 10, a big deer is going to put themselves in a position in which they have a vantage point, number one, and they can see potentially when and where they're bedded from that position. They can see what is going on downwind of them and they can smell what's going on upwind and they have multiple outlets to escape from. Um, so I'll give you an example. Last year, um, really every year, Garrett and Jesse and I, we share a turkey hunting lease, um, a, a county to the south of where Garrett and I hunt, a county to the north and to the west of where Jesse and Matt hunt. It's a big place. It's like a thousand acres <clears throat> and we lease it only for turkeys. But sometimes we get lucky and we'll find antlers out there. So the cool thing about where we find antlers every year is there are deer stands, you know, we're not the one that deer hunt the property, but if you can imagine there is a small, um, a small section of grass with thermal cover all over it, little pine trees sprinkled all over it. And it's really rolling ground. It's not like flat monocrop, like agriculture, like big 900 acre square piece of field. It's really rolling hills. And on one particular knob, almost religiously, like almost every single year, we find a big deer antler up there. Not like a little one, not like a pipsqueak, like a very nice deer antler. Like one that we assume, like I said, we can't hunt these deer, but what we would assume is like four five, six years old. Every is that where time you found that, is that where Garrett found that 95? Right there. Um, he found the 95 about 200 yards to the straight east of that spot. Okay. So it's not out of the question at all to think that that deer could have been sleeping there, yeah. went to get himself a bite to eat and shook it off. Um, so every year, you know, the, we believe a lot in prevailing winds. Like when we're deer hunting, lots of our stands, we will hang them for a Northwest wind. About 70% of the prevailing winds that happen in Illinois from like October 1st on are coming either out of the north or out of the west, but usually out of the west and sometimes with a kick of north in it. So almost every stand we're hanging in advance for deer season are non-mobile sets. Those sets are hung with a northwest wind in mind. So this deer sure as shit, what I can envision is he's bedded up and he's looking over this valley. And the crazy thing about it is he can, that deer will be able to see for several hundred yards in to his direct east all the way to his south in that 90 degree rotation, if you can envision that. Sure. And with that northwest wind, he's gonna smell any bit of any bit of pressure that's coming from the north and to the west. And it's just a very small strip. It's about 80 yards wide in between a cornfield that rolls down into a big bottom with a creek running through it. And I would envision that a deer would be able to, from up at that vantage point, escape if he saw a hunter coming and the crazy thing about the deer stands that are hung on that property that son of a bitch could be watching you the entire time you were walking in to where all these stands are hung up and stuff and you would never know yeah. i mean without finding those deer antlers so that's one example i have but um the other example that's fairly obvious is that nine times out of ten 
when a deer's antler is found, it's, it's going to food or somewhere around food, um, which really leads you to believe that it's, <clears throat> if you're going to hunt deer during the late season anyway, you got to have some food on your property. Cody's got a really, really interesting theory. I think he might've talked about this last podcast with you when he, he believes that the reason that there's so many deer antlers found on the fringe of a food source is that a deer will stand up during the middle of the night. They'll go get something to eat. They'll nibble on that food, get some cud in their mouth, then they'll go and like bed down right on the edge. And there's lots of deer antlers that we find like right in those first 15 yards around the outside of a field. A lot are found in there. And same thing with Matt and Jesse, they find a lot in like grassy waterways within the fields themselves. And it kind of makes me believe that Cody's theory is even more correct on that, you know, just because yeah. you've got a deer that's kind of lazy, just like a human being, they go out and grab some bean waste or some corn waste or some standing beans or standing corn. They go back to their waterway, bed down and nibble a little bit, then they get back up and, you know, keep going back and forth. So those are the few things that I've learned. We could keep talking about it, but um, no, no, that's for you with a bunch with a bunch of shed hunting stuff. We like killing them when the when their deer antlers are on top of their head. So right, but you can use that, like you said, you can use that for late season, like late season info. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's yep. stick to food, but it's but the the concept is super interesting because you know as I walk our property. Um, I rarely find beds along the edge of the food until late season. And then they're, then in the snow, they're pretty much everywhere. And I might be missing them when it's not snow out, but when there's snow, it's like evidently clear, like, holy shit, there's, you know, 17 beds in this 50 yard stretch right here. Yeah. You know? Um, so I could certainly see why you'd find antlers there. And if, and if people are looking out for antlers, you know, and you go on the public, you know, the first thing people are going to see are the, are the things in the cut fields, you know, that's what everyone's going to see, but they might not get that, you know, that zero to 20 yards off the field edge and walk that little strip there. So another thing that I learned from my buddy, Shane Jones, and it makes a lot of sense too, in like hill country, because one of my most interesting things, well, in Illinois, it's a kind of an interesting statistic, less than 1% of the land that we have in Illinois is public. So, I mean, around us, it, you're going to have to drive a long ways to go and hit some public. The, the big piece of public around us is 600 acres. So it's not like these multi-thousand acre tracks in Ohio and PA and stuff that you hear yeah. these public. Most of the time when I think of like a public land hunter, I'm thinking of a person from Wisconsin, PA, Ohio, Michigan, stuff like that. I'm not... I don't know hardly anybody that goes out and grills and kills it on Illinois public just because there's so little of it. Um, so one of the, my things that I'm always very interested to ask a person that goes out and hunts public is, well, how do you pattern deer without an ag agricultural food source? You know, like that's our whole game. Yeah. Let's make a food plot. Let's feather the edge of that sucker. So the deer have to enter at this point. Let's load that sucker up with mobile cams let's find out this thing's pattern and let's let him kill himself with data before we go in there and try to scoop him up. And so my, I'm always very interested to hear like a public land hunter's perspective. And my buddy Shane Jones and I, he's an outfitter, a guide out in Colorado for a place called Sandy Hills Hunt Company. I was talking to him before I went mule deer hunting this year. Uh, Cause me and my buddy, 
uh, Jake from, I don't know if you know Exodus trail cameras or not, but oh yeah, Jake Hoker. Yep. He's a, he's a real close friend of mine. And he actually went to his first ATA show with us, uh, but about, been about eight years ago was, uh, was crashing on, on the floor with us. And, uh, he's, he actually used to own a pretty cool company called common sense deer urine. Um, before mm-hmm. he was the owner of one of the partners of Exodus over there. So he and I went out there and in advance of our going out and hunting this public in Nebraska, we talked a lot to Shane and Shane said nine times out of 10, when you find deer, if you envision a mountain as your forearm and you put it at a slant and you cut your forearm into fifths, the deer are going to be right about at the bottom of the top fifth. So he's like, you're not going to find very many deer bedding at the peak you know, but you'll find them bedding up high. And because of that reason is because not only are they going to catch the wind and be vulnerable to catch the wind as it's rolling over a mountain peak or a hill in the case of like a hill country hunter, like a PA, Mm -hmm. Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan guy that are hunting, not on ag, you know, like us in, in Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, blah, 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 that these deer will get on the backsides of these hills. So that way, when the wind rolls over, they can smell that. And then you have the concept of like this thermal funnel that happens to where when, when the wind is being sucked up, that they're not only protected from anything that's going to try to ambush them from the top side, but that wind is pulling up the mountain or up the hill right to them. So it's actually kind of an interesting like position of strength, if you will. And that's, Mm -hmm. I feel like when I see deer walking around like valleys and ditches in Illinois, that's pretty true. I rarely see deer like at the top i rarely see deer trails like at the very bottom unless there's a creek running through the bottom but lots of the deer trails i'll see like a quarter way up from the bottom and about a quarter way up from the top which i don't know it's kind of an interesting theory and way to look at things but no i i mean i would certainly agree with with all that in my uh in my experience so I hunt hill country on the western state of Wisconsin or on the western side of Wisconsin along the Mississippi. I hunt that. And then I also hunt a lot of flat ground around me. And I do have 6,000 public acres that I can hunt, you know, outside my door. You that's know? monstrous. Yeah, so that's there's, a, there's a big middle finger to you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're much. Illinois boys besides having <laughs> the bears. Like that's just a middle finger in itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We got, a, we got one really large chunk of public and other than that, it's all pretty small. There's Shawnee, which yeah. is literally five hours South of us. I mean, we're people lots of times forget how long of a state Illinois is, you know? It's oh, kind dude, of, I hate to drive through it. It's Cause like after you get past Peoria, you're like another four hours of what? <laughs> yep. Might as well call that North Kentucky down there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, but anyway, I was going to say the, the majority of deer sign, like you're saying is, is it's not on the top of the Ridge. Like those trails are rarely on the top. And a lot of times on public or, or on private, if it's a new piece that you're hunting, those trails on top are humans, like walking along that top, it's 10 yards over that lip. It's 30 yards over that lip to yeah. where they are. And then exactly as you're saying, you know, it's never right it's rarely right on the bottom. It's generally just up in, up on that hillside. 
Yeah. Another interesting thing is it's pretty rare for the trails to ever just go straight up the hill. 90% of the time they're going at a diagonal going from left to right or yeah. right to left, whatever. But, uh, one of the other thoughts is like, do you, do you ever, have you guys ever elk hunted? Do you guys elk hunt often? Uh, Jared just shot his first bull, um, last fall, but now oh, I have, I haven't been elk hunting. I've been backcountry camping. So I'm, <clears throat> I don't know if I said this right at the beginning or not, but I'm a school teacher. So I'm lucky that I get the three months off in exchange for being the downfall of the American society as we know it. But then, <laughs> so, but I am lucky enough to go out um, West and we go camping in Wyoming every year. And one okay. time, uh, it was about three years ago, we'll go on our fly fishing trip for like a week up, up there. I yeah. had a little scream and wake me up in like the basin below the little knob we were nice. on, so that was pretty cool but no i've never been elk hunting maybe one day but i want to go kill about 60 more mule deer before i go and try to kill an elk something about <laughs> them and caribou just trip the trigger yeah well, mule deer are next on my list i did i ended up killing my first bull elk um this year yeah. this 2020 as well but the the thing that's really interesting that you mentioned that's hard for people to, for whitetail hunters to understand because there's just like, there's very, very little like personal experience or personal evidence of it is exactly what you're saying and how whitetails will use the thermals and the wind to move throughout, not even to just where they're bedding, but how they move throughout the day in the, in the ways that they like to go from point A to point B. And maybe that crosses off like, Hey, I'm not going to point B anymore. I'm going to go to point C because this doesn't seem right. Um, and how I, how I say that, or the reason I say that is because when you're out hunting elk in, in September and they're bugling and you get up at 3am and you get out there and you get on top of wherever the hell you need to be by 5am and you're sitting there and you're listening and you're waiting, you'll hear them kind of in those bottoms. And then as they're moving up those hills and as they're moving around in those mountains, like you can't 90% of the time, 95% of the time when I've gone, you can't touch, you can't even get close to them because they almost always have the wind in your favor or, or they almost always have the wind in their favor in one way or another. Like thermals are still falling in the morning until that yeah. sun really rises. And even then in the shade, those thermals are still falling, you know? And then as soon as the thermals really start rising, they've positioned themselves in an area where it's really hard to get below them or above them because there are, you know, they've, it's just, they know what the heck's going on and they're very good at using those to their advantage. And whitetails, I have to imagine a, a four, five, six-year-old whitetail and older, they understand that concept. They know that there's humans out there trying to kill them and they know, okay, like this is how I need to move throughout this piece to make sure that I can avoid danger. Yep. And it's just because whitetails don't bugle and you can't like listen to how they're walking, you know, up a hill, you're never going to know that for sure, unless you have 15 trail cameras on it. But, but like with elk, you can hear that pattern move. That's yeah, there, there are many, many things that I'd love to, I would love to know about whitetail deer, which maybe just come from being out in the woods more. And maybe it's an answer I'll know when I'm like 40 or 50. 
but uh, there are certain things that white-tailed deer do <coughs> that I just I just don't quite understand yet. One of them being, um, we had a deer that we, man, we thought he was writing his ticket to the grave this year. Um, we had hunted him last year. I actually passed him with a gun last year. He's a nice deer. He's a mainframe 10 with double split brows, double split twos and daggers on the inside. Damn. Just a nice deer. Uh, had a lot going on with him. And for whatever reason, and he would have been the dominant, like rack size wise, by far the biggest buck on the place. Okay. And um, for whatever reason, he just, he was gone. And I don't know if it's the dominant buck theory, which I, I do think I believe that one quite a bit. That is, if you take a dominant buck out of a, a piece of habitat, that if it's an ideal piece of habitat, the most dominant buck will find his way to replace him in the pecking order. Um, just because almost every year when Garrett and I kill a big deer, we'll have the subordinate deer of that big deer come in and take its place after he's dead. Um, that's how, that's how we believe we killed Garrett's, uh, deer this year. Um, so I don't know if that's the reason why, but there's certainly mysterious animals. And I hope that, uh, hope that by the time, like I said, I'm 20 years down the road, I'll have as many answers as a person like Infault or somebody of that caliber for you. But until then, I'm just going to, Keep crossing the fingers and hoping to get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hope, hoping they follow that data trail that they've yes. laid for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did we get off on that tangent? We were talking about shed hunting and then we just kind of rolled into. Uh, well, we were hunting. talking about where deer positioned kind of. Ah, yeah. Where sheds could be positioned mm -hmm. in, in coordinates with the mountainside and yep. that oftentimes in like hill country to pattern a deer. Uh, that I think that's that's how we got sure. on that. But. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. No, that yeah, that's good. So then, I mean, you guys, do you have only do you only have six more Shed King episodes total, or do you guys have a bunch more aside? Um, from so I've got a couple softies, uh, meaning they're not edited yet. We're okay. just gonna see. Um, <clears throat> we're uh, we're yeah, like I said, we're about seven years deep in this, so. We tend to, uh, <clears throat> if, if we've got a good idea that sticks and people enjoy, we'll keep letting her rip. Um, but I'm not going to keep releasing Shed King stuff into April because at that point, that would be a stupid ROI on myself of my time. <laughs> you know, because yeah. uh, the majority of whitetail hunters are going to be done picking up antlers by then and they're going to be on to gobblers. So Right. About at that time is when we're going to be wanting to hit the woods and chase turkeys anyways. Um, so we kind of like to keep our stuff really seasonal and fresh. Um, we used to drop our season all in, all in one time. As soon as we get it done, we're like, let's get it out the door. Let's get it out the door. We can't hang on to this anymore. It's so cool. Let's show people. And uh, that's certainly not the best way I've figured out to grow uh to grow our social or YouTube platform. Yeah. So we keep that stuff locked in tight until the fall. Right. Yeah. You want it to be timely when people are paying yep. attention. Yeah. It's yep. fun to watch your podcast numbers just climb in October yep. and then die in January. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, you mentioned Turkey. Great segue, dude. So you were saying, telling me right before the show, you're right before we started, you're like, yeah, I just picked up a turkey tag for Kansas. Yeah. So, uh, 
I guess one of the little auxiliary benefits of doing a media company outside of the, um, you know, the gear and the, and the other things is, um, that eventually every once in a while you get invited to go on a hunt. So, um, Matt and Jesse actually went down to Misty Morning Outfitters is the name of the outfitter <clears throat> a couple times and, uh, killed their first Rios down there. Jesse actually killed the banded Rio. Nice. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And so we're going to go back there. They invited us back down and uh, said, hey, you guys make an episode for us. And uh, this one's on the house. So we bought our, <clears throat> we just bought our uh, licenses the other day. And uh, tomorrow morning, uh, the turkey tags go on sale at 6 a.m. for the Kansas Department of Wildlife. I don't know what exactly the <laughs> term is. In Illinois, it's the Division of Natural Resources or Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's different kind of for every state game and parks and this and that, but, um, so yeah, they go on sale tomorrow and, uh, going to be picking up one of those and me and Matt are going down, uh, to see if we can whack some Rios, come back yeah. to Illinois and maybe do something we haven't ever done. And well, Matt's done it. I shouldn't say that Matt kills the shit out of everything. If it walks, it dies. <laughs> I don't even know how many times that kid's bucked out in the last 10 years. I think seven, I think we counted the other day. He's, Killed two deer in our home state, seven out of the last 10 years. And I don't know how many turkeys he's killed, but it's probably, it's probably encroaching on 50 birds. So no, it's good for him. He's my good little <laughs> luck charm. He's like a lucky rabbit's foot. <clears throat> right. <laughs> so oh, we're going to get down there and see if we can get her done. Yeah, dude, that'll be awesome. Um, when is that, is that season open before Illinois or when does that open? Uh, it's kind of during, so it's oh, okay. just, we, we picked a common weekend where neither of us had tags in Illinois. So in Illinois, it's kind of a, I don't know how your turkey season works up in Wisconsin, but for Illinois, there's five seasons. Um, you can have a maximum of three tags to kill three gobblers. You can't kill hens in the spring and the Illinois seasons, they're not very favorable to the working man, which ironically is 90% of people that fucking hunt. So <laughs> do the math on that. Thanks, Illinois DNR. But our first season in Illinois is uh, is only uh, five days long. So the way I remember it, it goes five, six, seven, seven, eight, or five, six, seven, seven, nine, something like that, where that first week, uh, it's just a Monday through Friday or a Monday through Thursday season. So Ooh. if you don't so if you don't have a you don't have a weekend in it, so lots of times we rarely apply for first. So most mm -hmm. of us don't even start hunting until second, other than uh other than one or two people. And to do it, you got to take the day off. On top yeah. of the fact that we can't hunt them all day, so it's just it sucks all the way around. Really, we only <laughs> got five hours to kill them, and one of the seasons is shot. So no shit. Oh man, yeah. One I'll uh, Wisconsin's just as messed up. I mean, I personally, like once you learn it, I like it simply because of the fact that turkey tags are unlimited. So what? Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say unlimited. You can buy one per day until season's over. So. So you could conceivably kill a bird every day. Um. So like, okay, so this is how, no, I, okay. I said that wrong. I said that a little wrong, but I mean, in a way you almost could depending on your location. So like, do you know, breaking point, you know, they murder yeah. the shit out of turkeys. Yeah. So what they do is, yeah. So like Wisconsin has season A, B, C, D, E, and F. So six seasons and all six seasons run 
Wednesday to Tuesday. So that's awesome. Yeah. So everybody gets at least a weekend, but you get Wednesday to Tuesday and then, and it used to only be Wednesday to Sunday. A couple of years ago, they did Wednesday to Tuesday. So everyone has to apply for a license on the front end. If you want to get a license, you have to apply by December 3rd, I think is what it is. And then everybody throws in the hat and go, I want a, I want a, and, and it's based on zones. There's like six zones in the state, I think. And like two of them cover half the state and that's zone one and zone two, which is pretty much like Milwaukee, Milwaukee to green Bay and to Madison is one zone. And then Madison to like lacrosse and Eau Claire and down is another zone. And then you kind of got one in the middle, which is whatever, but those are like the two main zones in the state. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you apply for whatever zone you want and you apply for a time frame, and you throw in your options, option one, two, or three, depending on if you get drawn or not. And then in whatever, early January, they send you your license. So this year I drew the zone that I want, which I honestly can't even remember which one it is. If it's zone one or zone two, um, it's the, the, it's the zone that I live in. I know that. And then I got second season, which is what I wanted. Um, last year I got first season here and it kind of sucked. So I just tried for second season and I got it, which would be B, but now in mid February sometime, or I'm sorry, mid March, uh, which is so stupid. Like you get your tag and you get a, a two weeks to buy it. And if you don't buy it, it goes back in the pool. So I get from March 1st to March 16th to buy my tag. And then on March 16th, all the leftover tags for my zone, go on sale for like, I don't know, 24 hours. So everybody gets it, gets a chance to buy one more and then it closes until a, like a season starts. And then whatever tags they have left over, you can buy one per day for that season. So like, like the breaking point guys, they'll end up with, they'll end up with like on in uh season E and F they'll end up with like four tags for the five day hunts. Cause they'll just buy tags every day. And when they kill one, they can just buy another tag online and go tomorrow. That so, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. Cause you can just, yeah. If you're, if you have a good Turkey hunting property, you love Turkey hunt. I mean, you could conceivably shoot, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 turkeys in a year. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a pile. Cause with, <clears throat> with Illinois, we feel like at least kind of, probably the same way you feel turkey hunting is a little bit of a crapshoot when you put it in the spring more than likely one of those days during the weekend is going to be raining so hard <laughs> that, uh, the toms don't talk all day mm. and like i said for us we cannot hunt them in the evenings we have to be done by one o'clock so yeah. it's morning and if they don't play ball in like right off the roost it's like all right grab the reaper decoy we're gonna go after these sons of bitches and uh and try to get one the aggressive way so it mm -hmm. it's like we got to make it happen like now and still with the so, max kill yeah, and it closes at noon uh 1 p.m i think 1 p.m yeah okay yeah yep yeah that's fun i know in turkey season for me like i am not a good caller personally like i and i don't really i mean i wouldn't say i'm a terrible caller but like i can call i'm just like i'm not the one to set a decoy up and call for an hour I'm the one to walk around until I hear a gobble and get as close as I can. And if I don't have to set my decoys up, I won't like, I'll just try to sneak in there and almost like spot and stalk them and just shoot them with the shotgun and call it a day. Yep. 
Um, that's what I like to do. And last year I was so pissed. I, uh, I was like, I'm going to get one with my bow this year. I'm going <laughs> to get after it and do it. And the three, I had three times come through when, when I had my bow and um, all three of them, like essentially came out, like they just popped out of nowhere. So I couldn't draw on them. I knew they were out there somewhere. And then like, you know, their eyes sight so good. You kind of tuck yourself into a spot. That's like, all right, I'm hidden. And then all of a sudden they just pop out of nowhere. And one of them I had to, I had walked to like four yards before he picked me. And I'm just sitting there with my bow and my release on my string. And he popped out at 25 and just walked right at me. And I was like, you son of a bitch. If I had my gun, I'd kill you. You get closer. I'm just going to stab you. <laughs> Smack your face in with a two by four. If I had my gun right now, buddy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh <laughs> man. Yeah. And then you draw and they just gobble and run. <laughs> That's the way it goes. We, uh, we started, well, our cycle of when we get our bows every year is kind of just at the worst time. So we've been working with Matthews for about the last six years and our bows typically show up during turkey season. So to go to a pro shop and get it sighted in and throw the sight on it and get the peep in and get the D loop on and get it shooting good out to like 20, 30, 40 yards during turkey season, like I said, most of us only hunt turkeys like for eight days, maybe 10 if we peel out of work mm -hmm. on, on a morning or two or take some days off. And so it's not like this huge long season for us anyway, just because first doesn't have a weekend. So it's really four seasons of two weekends, maybe one of those is going to get knocked out by the rain because we got six hours in the morning to hunt them anyways, and that's it. And so our bows kind of land, and about four years ago, we we're like, nah, screw this. We're just going to, we're just going to blow their heads off their shoulders. And, uh, yeah. and Garrett built uh, this decoy. We named him Teddy, and he's actually all over our YouTube channel. We've been reaping, reaping toms with him for about the last three or four years, and he's got a little pistol grip on him and he'll conceal okay. Garrett and I. So I'm about six, four, six, five. Garrett's about six, two, six, three. So we're both bigger <laughs> and uh, he'll conceal us really well. And actually all four turkeys we killed in Illinois last year, we reaped them. So right now in the wild open, wide open, we're like bird. And we just grab Teddy, take the gun with our dominant hand and just walk right at him. And then most of them, the time they'll commit and they'll just do the, do the 200 yard sprint right to us and close so garrett's time nice. for the first tom garrett shot last year i want to believe was like probably pushing 300 yards away when we saw the group of them and they were in our laps within about 20 seconds of when we flashed flashed them with teddy and they were just whew, on a straight line so that'll be a fun episode to show this spring but yeah uh, turkeys are turkeys are a good time but they can be frustrating that's the thing with uh that's the thing with turkeys every year we feel like we figure them out a little bit better and there'll be some days where either they're not saying a peep or they shut up and completely walk the other way and we're like well we did the exact same thing now as what we did yesterday when we killed a bird what was different about today I feel like that happens a lot with turkey hunting you know you're yeah. totally dumbfounded by some of the things that they do but yeah anyway Right. Yeah. With the, with the brain, the size of a pea, you never know what the hell they're going to do. Yep. <laughs> some days they're so smart and some days they're so stupid. Yes. Um, shit. So, all right. The other thing I wanted to, the, to touch on with you here, I know we're getting close to an hour, but, um, we were talking earlier beforehand 
about like exciting plans and things coming up in 2021. And you think that, do you guys have a caribou tag or are you applying for it or what? Uh, yeah. So Garrett and I've been talking about it a little bit. Um, my bucket list hunt is a caribou. Um, I shot my first muley in 17 and shot another one with Jake, uh, this past, this past season, um, just about a month, month and a half ago, I guess, in Nebraska, right there, uh, the week, week of Christmas, right before. And, um, I want to go kill some more mule deer like later on. And I would love to go back out to Sandy Hills to do that. Um, do it with Shane. Uh, that would be the number one, uh, way I would love to kill muley spot and stock them with a bow. Yeah. Uh, but I would really love to kill a caribou. I've got a couple antelope in my house and I just love how they're colored. I love the white pelt, the whites, the browns, the grays. And on top of the fact that they have those awesome, beautiful chocolate racked antlers that are just out of this world cool like nothing else else has um and where you hunt them is rugged and remote and uh one of my buddies mike lemansky he's went up there and done it and uh you can kill them in pairs so garrett and i are hoping to go up there uh draw the tag maybe uh maybe get lucky and yeah. bring them home send them home where, from where do you guys want to go uh it'll be probably alaska probably where we're looking at going um we've we've got a couple outfitters on the table right now um outfitted versus diy is a whole nother controversy in and of itself and uh yeah i myself am on under the impression that kind of like most guys i believe most people fall under the umbrella that i'm about to talk about and that is like i believe that if you gave somebody like an antelope tag with their bow, which is a pretty hard animal to hunt with the bow, I think that lots of people, lots of bow hunters could get it done if they were given the resource of time. I just think if you're going on a hunt, especially out of state, that like I don't have time to go up and scout Alaska. It's not in the cards <laughs> for me. I'm not going to do Come it. Come on, man. It's 24 hours one way if I drive and – 18 if i fly and that's popping little bush planes in and out of little puddles yeah. up there and so it's like man I, I i think we're just gonna go with an outfitter with a good reputation and hopefully it's good enough to get us close within bow range or or gun range of one and and make it happen so it's like a like i said it's a bucket list hunt for for me and we're gonna see if we can both draw them and and get it done and um, I know a couple of buddies that have, like I said, been up there before and gotten it done. So I would just love to, uh, love to put one of those, uh, in the memory banks, just because yeah. I, I love exploring new country and going camping every summer and to be able to do a hunt like that, that's remote and I'm camping in on my back or I'm staying in a spike camp or something like that. I just love camping and being outside. So I would, if I could check both of the camping and the hunting box simultaneously, that would be, uh, that would be the, one of the reasons why it's my dream hunt. So yeah. yeah, fingers crossed for that one. No, that sounds, that's awesome. So then if you guys were to both draw, how, how do you guys as like, so I, I have the same, uh, a similar s scenario with one of my best friends where, where we haunt and film together and whatnot. Yep. Um, but, uh, how do you pick who's the hunter and who's the cameraman? <laughs> Uh, usually it goes off of either a competition that we made up that we did, or it goes off of, <laughs> or it goes off of, uh, 
who ended the season with a kill last year. So like me, this year I was lucky enough to tag two bucks with my bow and the mule deer. But because Garrett went elk hunting first at the beginning of season, even before season started for us, um, actually, I guess it was during the first week of whitetail season, he'd already killed an animal. So he's like, you're riding the bow until you kill one. So that's kind of how we do things. Yeah. So really, it's really like 50-50. There's no like, uh, well, you hunted yesterday and blah, blah, blah. Like the first one of us that kills a buck with a bow in Illinois every year knows he's on camera duty till the other one kills. And then we right. flop back. It's uh, So I would assume that for the caribou situation, it would kind of depend on who killed the last deer the year before that. So I think, so I think it would be, yeah, whoever kills the latest deer next year will probably be the one that doesn't shoot the first caribou, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're so, going to hold out, you're going to have like 150-incher come through, and you'll be like, no, nah, dude, we got the caribou tag. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Hell no. I'm not a person that lets the 150s walk yet. You're talking to the wrong guy. Right, dude. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Yeah, no, I've. I'm in the, you know, at, at this point in time, I have been, I have, I have missed, I missed a one, a mid one thirties this year and last the year before, um, I, I hit and lost like a one forties, mid one forties on public. It's uh, really uh, just a really clean 10. Um, so I'm, I'm two, two years without a buck and both years had opportunities just to seal the deal. So like yeah. I am, I am certainly not picky at this point. <laughs> that shit happens, man. My, the biggest deer that I ever lost before I was, uh, what was I been like 16? Yeah, it was, uh, Garrett and I had been hunting all weekend. He was up at college and I was still in high school at the time, just because there's a few years that separate us. Yeah. He was up at college. It was the morning that he left. I was like, I'm going to go back out, <clears throat> going to go out to the food plot, going to see what goes down here. And sure as shit, I don't know. I, like I said, I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not big on scoring. It's not the most important thing to me by a long stretch. But just I, I think scoring deer is useful because you and I can have conversations. And when you say 140, I can picture in my head what you're saying to me. And, yeah. When I say things, you can picture in your head what that would look like. So I would envision that this was about a uh, mid to upper 160s with double six-inch drops coming right underneath the GPUs. <laughs> and like a jackass, I uh, like I said, it was. I wish I could have. If there's a couple moments in my bow hunting career that I wish I could have got back, that's one of them. And he comes in, he's at about 25 yards, and he's just like very steeply quartered too. And I thought I could sneak one in right behind the shoulder, you know, crease them, get the onside lung, possibly exit out the liver. And it was a little further, it was a little further forward than that. And I just stuck him right in the point, not right in the point, but right behind the point of the shoulder where that meat is. And at the time I was only yanking about 60 pounds back, shooting a pretty light arrow, which I don't shoot anymore. And, uh, and uh, yep. End up ended up not being able to recover that one, so that one stung. So I know what you're talking about, and yeah, uh, welcome, welcome to uh, yeah. All I can say is I you got my respect because if you're willing to put stuff on YouTube 
and it and it doesn't happen or a miss happens or a wound happens then get ready because uh, <laughs> it's coming the, for you the witch hunters are coming for your house to burn that son of a bitch down so because yeah, they're yeah, perfect happens. <laughs> yep. you everyone's perfect on youtube man right so, on the internet everyone's perfect no one's got skeletons we had a we had a what i would oh. like to call the greatest hater of all time this deer season he dropped us like seven comments in a row and finally matt who he he kept tearing into all of matt's videos and like i'll defend matt to the nth degree like matt's killed in i guess in the t in the time that we've been filming last breath he's killed two deer two deer 170 or better four deer in the 160s like another five or six in the 150s and about four or five in the 140s matt pounds big ass deer and the sure as shit like there's this guy that gets on there every single video that matt's in great deer too bad they were never hunted great deer too bad they were never hunted we look at this guy's profile and it's just loaded with all these public land hunting pages and we're like dude what do you expect <laughs> like what do you expect like the the title of this video is literally like 30 acre monster like 30 acres of what? What do you think it was? Public? 30 yeah. Public. No public land can be and small sometimes, but it's in, I, the it's in the title. Like, we're saying, like, I planted my food plot this summer. Like, you're not planting food plots on public unless there's laws that I don't know about. Like, if it's in the title, yeah. like, for Christ's sake, just move on. Get over yourself. Right. There's two, there's two major things about that right there. A- is the guy is just being a, a little bitch because he can't do it himself, right? That's the first thing is he's just trying to por portray his inefficiencies on you guys. But the second biggest thing going on there is, uh, is that it's like, okay, if you had 30 acres, are you just going to go hang your dirty laundry out out there? And are you going to go like, hey, I need to make this harder. Hey, I'm out here. I'm over here. You know, I hunt this only on a bad wind because I want to make sure that the deer know that I'm here. Like, no, you're not. You're not at all. If you had 30 acres of private ground and you put fucking 50 hours into planting food plots and setting up stands and getting things right, probably 60, 70, 80 hours into doing that, you're going to make sure that you don't put pressure on it and you go there when you need to go there and you're going to do the right things. This guy go. just doesn't, he just doesn't freaking get it. That's like the biggest, that is the biggest problem with social media and, and hunting is like people tend to portray their own scenarios and what they've experienced in life with what other people experience. Yep. People believe what they want to believe. Here's my biggest, uh, here's the biggest hypocrisy I've ever fucking heard of. This is it right here. When people back the hunting public, you know, the hottest of the hot, like right now, nobody's hotter than the hunting public on YouTube other than C1. Yeah. And I will say, I like watching their videos. I like other people more, but I like watching their videos. Like when um, Aaron Warbritton dump, pump, bump and dump that public land giant that he shot this year. I watched the shit out of that. Watched oh, that was a cool one. I think Zach Farinball is a phenomenal human being. Like I really like him um seems like a very cool guy bumped into a couple trade shows really nice guy all of them really nice guys but their fans will continue to say to the nth degree 
They're so relatable. They're so relatable. They're so relatable. Well, you have the blinders on then because what hunters do you know of that do this for a living to be able to get that resource of time? Like we're talking about, like I'm under the opinion, like if you're out there for long enough doing the right things enough, that eventually the opportunities will happen for you. Like time kills big deer. Matt, my friend who kills more big deer than anybody I know, my buddy Clark that kills more big deer. Like they take off the month of November, (laughs) the whole fucking month, typically. Like there's a very good correlation between that and success. And I'm just saying like for the people to say like, these guys are so relatable, their personality may be relatable, but the way that they're hunting is not. No. Like, yeah. And I would, like, I, I would, I would agree with the sense of the time. Nobody, thing. Has, nobody has like months off here. So you but got the what, blinder yeah. on and you're just believing what you want to believe. And you're saying what you want to say, and you're refusing to see other things because that fits into your niche and the narrative that you want to write, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, the thing that's super related about the, about the hunting public is like, you know the mismatched camo the fred bear bows the you know like the inexpensive gear is is what's relatable and then it's public and a lot of their hunts are like seven days ten days but at the same time like just a normal person scrounging together seven days through through you know um like for a piece to hunt a piece of public in november it usually doesn't happen i mean most people will run like maybe a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, and they'll do that a couple of times. Um, and then also, you know, just, yeah, I mean, being out there and then, and then the big thing that, that people would get lost on with that. And I, I, to your agree, Zach has been on the podcast. Aaron's been on the podcast. Like I really enjoy those guys. Me too. And, and like, and I'm not saying they're not relatable. There's a lot of relatable things about them Yeah, for sure. Um, but also they put in more hours in the field than like anybody else in the, like, and they're like, if you could, most people, it would take most people 15 to 20 years to get the same amount of experience they get in one season. Yeah. Right. And that's the, that's like a cumulative effect of year over year over year of of watching them they're still relatable because they don't have the gear and they buy their shit at walmart and you know and whatever and they're not like diving into sponsor like massive sponsorships and they are but they're not publicly doing it um but yeah i mean they just like after you've done after you've hunted you know 200 days a year for four years you're going to be pretty freaking good at what you do or you better be yeah right (laughs) yeah and to be clear they earned it like they put themselves in the position they blew the platform up and they're doing it better than anybody else right now so i'll be the first to say that they worked at it and they earned it and they have a phenomenal system that permits them to be able to hunt and to make them to be able to do that and their personalities like you said are very (laughs) i'm just talking about the aspect of like all right uh, like another example would be like (laughs) people i feel like people will get on to um certain forums and i i myself i'm only a part of a couple facebook groups but i was part of one i got invited you know to one of them oh it would have been about a year ago and uh (laughs) 
they're it's just like groups of 30 and 40 year old men bitching like little high school kids at one another. I'm like, <laughs> I'm done with this. This is such a bullshit use of my Is time. that Facebook? I'm not learning anything. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> learning anything. This is terrible. Like this needs to stop. I'm, I, I came here for a little bit of knowledge and now I'm immediately turned off. I'm out. See you never again. Right. And it's just like these groups of people are like at war over like who said this and who said that. And it's, to me, it's just, it's all about whatever narrative that they're whining to each other and what yeah. they want to believe. Well, you should use this piece of gear because this guy does. Well, this guy didn't use that until this guy bought this company. I don't know. That's more so than the outdoor industry. The more you get into it, it's just like little ticky tacky bullshit. That's just very, very annoying and very uh, cyclical in yeah. the way that it runs. Dude, you want to, so, so I work with arrow hunter and you want to talk about ticky tacky bullshit in the forums, like saddle hunting. Give me a, give me a uh, freaking, I don't participate. I participated in like the forums and, and that thing for yeah. less than a week. And I was like, this is a total waste of my time. Mm -hmm. Like yep. <laughs> what, yeah. you guys are, you guys are, you guys are bitching about somebody who has, um, you know, 10 pounds, four ounces in their pack versus nine pound pounds, eight ounces. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Who gives it? Like, I don't, I don't care. Like having a saddle and some sticks isn't going to like, I love, I, I hunt out of a saddle probably 50% of the time. I enjoy it, but I doesn't, I don't give a shit how I kill the deer. I just want to kill them. And, yeah. and the strategy and the knowledge behind where to set up is more important than the gear that you use to set up right yep. like i mean that's yeah but anyway to to your yeah to your whole point there it's like being relatable to people and and i i i thoroughly enjoy the hunting public and those guys are good dudes but oh yeah yes, i mean they do they put more time <laughs> than anybody and they're also the group of dudes that said you know, F it, we're going to quit our jobs. And we were in the hunting industry and we're just going to quit and we're going to go out and we're just going to start making YouTube videos and live dirt ball cheap. Yep. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Right. I, uh, I agree with them. I, I like watching their videos. I'm not trying to come across as, as a person that dislikes them in any way. I, I think they're awesome. I'm just saying like, there's certain little factions of groups that all have their like little kingpin so like the public land hunters, their kingpin is the hunting public. <laughs> public. The urban people, their kingpin is Seek One. That's who's carrying the flag. The yeah. mobile people, it's either Din Infault or Andre DeQuisto, and they're carrying the flag. The tethered yeah. guys and uh, Eberhart are carrying the flag for tethered, <laughs> you know, like saddle hunting. And there's yeah. these little warring factions that are like, well, your guy did this. Well, your guy did this. But he did this and this and this and this. And back in 2014, he did this and he was saw wearing this. And it's just like people believe in the outdoor industry, like what they want to believe. And they will ignore and put the blinders on shit that their party or their little flag carrier is doing on behalf of them so right. that they can like stay loyal to the party. It's just right. like it's just like Democrats and Republicans, you know? Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't Joe Rogan talk about it? He talks about like that in a sense. And I mean, he, Joe talks about everything, but like, just kind of like people wanting to be a part of a tribe or part of a group. Yeah. Like, this is my group. This is like who I am with. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. And I, 
I don't give a shit who you're with. Like, I just, if you kill big deer and you're a nice dude, I'm cool. I'm cool yeah. with it. <laughs> I would agree. I just, it's, it's funny how, like, like I said, like people, people throw the blinders on for people that they believe in and kind of say that they can do no wrong, etc. And I feel like it, it makes the, it makes the battles even that much more bloody when they happen on social media between the little warring clans of hunters. Right. So. And the other thing is, I don't know <clears throat> one argument that I've ever seen or ever been a part of that's been resolved on social media. It no. started, but it's never resolved. <laughs> so it's just a straight waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> Not the, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. It just like it never, yeah, yeah, never comes to a conclusion because you just you everybody just keeps fighting and then you're just like, all right, fuck it, I'm done wasting my time next. Yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the yeah. one of the people involved is like, nah, this is I thought this was gonna be worth it. I regret doing this. This is not worth my time. I'm ready to hop right. off on this now. So I don't know yeah. if that's ever gonna get any better in our lifetimes. I kind of hope it does, but honestly like if we didn't have like last breath and weren't trying to kick out content and stuff like that i myself i would have deleted social media a long time ago yeah i'm um, honestly in the same boat with like podcasts like all the educational things that i need related to hunting i can get from a podcast or i can watch a how-to video on how to do it mm -hmm. i don't need i don't need somebody's opinion on what a deer scores i don't need somebody's opinion on you know what the best way of tying a knot on the top of a saddle is or the best way to make an aider lighter or drill out a stand bracket to make it three ounces lighter so you can hike in 10 feet farther on public I don't <laughs> like i don't care man right i don't care <laughs> so no, i agree most of most of my buddies um when i was as we were talking earlier and all my buddies are on um we have a big snapchat group which is a kind of a, like it, I guess you'd call it a social media, but you don't have to look at anybody else's shit if you don't feel like it. Yeah. But we're all, we were talking about weight loss and getting ready for Western hunts and whatnot. And, um, all my buddies are on weight loss, but almost none of them, there's six guys in that group. None of them, except for me are on social media. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's because they're like, why the hell would I do that? It's a waste of my time. And I'm like, yeah, I have deer vein. That's why. That's why I'm here. Bingo. That's <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's a it's a necessary evil for us to have it. You know, right. to try to, to try to market and spread the word. And it's uh, it's unfortunate that it's become you know so dark. It's uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. One of the one of the I hope it's better, but yeah. One of the things you mentioned real quick, and we'll wrap it up after this, which is you said when you shot that buck in the shoulder, um, and this just came across my mind that I wanted to cover quick in that you had a 60 pound bow with a pretty light arrow. And now you don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, what do you like? What do you mean by that? Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, yep. So back in the day, I was shooting a uh, PSE bow madness oh yeah a little throwback with a with a dipped i think it was like a cross a, a skull pattern so it kind of looked like white and black but if you looked close enough it was like little skulls and it was like the drury's edition of bow madness and uh i was yanking back 75 as as high as it would go and um 
I was shooting a lightweight arrow, and at that time it was a Easton flatline arrow. Uh, I was coming back in, 60 or 75? 65. Oh, 65. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, 65. Sorry if I misspoke. Uh, so 65 uh, Easton flatline arrow, and then I've shot a big mechanical broadhead since the beginning of time. Um, I just think that if the shot placement is right, the blood channel is going to be a little bit more devastating. I'm going to be able to watch the deer die. Uh, more times than not <clears throat> so um i'm almost i'm also not one of those people that's like a i wouldn't consider myself an archery geek i'm just a hunter and having a bow enables me to hunt for longer than it does with a gun so that's the reason why i have a bow that's why uh, most so, bow hunters pick up a bow <laughs> yeah, so i just want to be out there as long as i can um so i'm not a person that's going out and dropping bombs at like 70 or 80 and indexing fletchings with single bevel blah heads or you know, putting up, making sure it's X amount percent of a twist on like a three blade or a four blade or something like that. I would, I, I would love, I'm, I'm all in favor of the arguments for a fixed broadhead, but I like how I can screw a mechanical on and I can hit out to 50, 60, 70, 80 yards, just as I would with a field point. Uh, and that gives me a lot of confidence. And I think confidence yeah. is what kills deer. So that's the reason why I shoot them. So um, now I shoot uh, a little over 70 when my when my uh, mods are cranked or my uh, limb bolts are cranked all the way down. Sure. Um, and I shoot a gold tip Pierce Kinetic series. Uh, it's sure. a 300 with the outsert with the weight up front. Um, yeah. And I shoot an NAP kill zone, and I pretty much blow through just about every deer that I shoot now. Uh, outside of like a just straight up in the dead center of a shoulder shot. So I hit a deer in the dead center of the shoulder this year, didn't get a pass through, but still killed him. Uh, the other deer skipped right through and was sticking in the dirt on the other side. So, um, nice. so yeah, it's just, it's just a heavier, it's a heavier <clears throat> setup. So I shot the Matthews VXR this year with, uh, I shoot about a 29 and a half inch draw, uh, somewhere between that and 30 inch draw kind of just depends on the, day how i'm feeling at the pro shop that day when we're tuning it and uh and uh yeah shoot the nap kill zone up front and it's it's been a pretty deadly combination garrett shoots the same thing except for he shoots 75 pound draw so does matt and they both add air, arrow inserts up front gold tip makes uh those little inserts that you can add at the back of your they call it the outsert there behind the collar yep. Uh, to get you more grains up front to get into that higher foc range um and they both blew through the deer that they shot this year as well garrett actually went into one shoulder bone and out the backside elbow so like right here at the backside point of yeah. the off shoulder and went out the other side so dang uh, it, it, it seems to work pretty good so ever since we got out of that lightweight arrow stuff i mean i like how flat they shoot um but I, I prefer a little bit heavier of an arrow now. It just gives me a lot of help with those paths, pass through. So yeah. that's like what I meant by that. Okay. No. And I want to, I wanted to reiterate that as well, because I have, I haven't, I've stuck a couple deer where I haven't passed through, but I found them. Um, but this year I jumped to a heavier arrow, which is like 530 grains is what it weighs out at something right about there but it has it has nothing to do with me wanting to like a specific that specific arrow weight it was just like 
I shoot 75 pounds. I'm a 30 inch draw. And in order to, yeah, in order. Yeah. So, and then like in order to not be flinging a twig, like I needed something heavier and I wanted to, the general rule of thumb, like I listened to Aaron Snyder and Kafaru Cass and I listened to a few other, um, few other big archers and and other podcasts. And I've done a bunch of the research online and whatnot, read the grizzly sticks. I forget who the Ashby study and whatnot. And it was, uh, is generally like, I just wanted to be in the 260 to 280 feet per second range. Yep. So reverse engineered that came out with an arrow that needed to be between 500 and 550 grains and and that's how i ended up at 530 um and i shoot an iron wheel 125 up front and a black eagle arrow 250 spine but this year when i shot my elk i blew through the front shoulder that i he was broadside and i just i hugged the shoulder too close blew through the front shoulder and then broke the rib on the opposite side and just clean out and it was it was dangling. It didn't fully go out and like into the dirt. It was dangling outside the elk. And when I found the arrow, it was like maybe five yards from impact. And uh, the knock, the thing that held it up was my nocturnal. And I found the nocturnal in the hide of the offside um, of the elk. And then the arrow was just laying there on the ground. So I pretty much waited all the way through and the knock stopped it. But went through the shoulder and then through the rib both lungs and the elk died in like 80 yards but yeah i i I guarantee if i still had like my 400 grain arrow set up i probably would have just got stuck on that shoulder yeah probably i just wanted that yeah that's a good point that's a devastating setup especially with that heavy of an arrow and i all the research that i've done about the same and somewhere in between that, like 270 and 290 feet per second is the sweet spot for your speed of your arrow, not being too slow that you're lobbing arrows, but fast enough that majority of the things, if you make a good shot and they're yeah. still way at the end of there, you're going to smoke it and you're going to get some really devastating penetration, especially with the fact you got an iron wheel up there. I've heard nothing but really good things about iron wheel broadheads and people that take the time to tune them and shoot them and get them grouping well really seem to be impressed by i've got a brother-in-law that shoots them and his friends shoots them and they both really like them yeah i mean well for 30 bucks a head they better be impressive right yeah (laughs) i know my my thought process on buying those was just well if i buy these and i don't fuck them up like real bad or lose them like i'll have them for for life so or i should you know and they have like a lifetime warranty on them so i was like well and i like to support like american-made small businesses so i was just like yeah well i'll throw this guy a 100 bucks and get three of these heads and sure i hope they work out and they do (laughs) will work for years and years to come i would say right yeah exactly well hey man we're we're definitely over an hour probably an hour and a half um so I appreciate you hopping on Grant. Uh, what, uh, again, last breath T is it like last breath TV.com or is it just last, last um, breath? Our, web, our website, our website's uh, www.lastbreathmedia.com. Okay. Uh, you can find us on 
uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Last Breath TV. And our YouTube channel is just Last Breath TV as well. It's a little orange and um, gray logo embossed. It kind of looks like a diamond with an outer shell. Uh, and it's got Last Breath in um, gray text with a backwards orange R. So that's us. That's how you can find us. And um, yeah, I'll. Awesome. Yeah, check out their Shed King stuff. Check out uh, if you can make it down July 23rd, free beer in Davenport. Check out the website and the Instagram and whatnot to find that. Yep. And then uh, be sure to subscribe and help these guys out. They make some awesome content. You definitely find it online. Check it out. I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, Yeah, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining in. And uh, good luck turkey season.